Tell somebody good morning. Tell somebody good afternoon if it's the afternoon for you. No one. Well, hey, I'm so glad that you are here today. It's an honor and a privilege to get to be in the house of the Lord. We don't have running water, it seems, but we got the living water. Is that right? We can be excited about that. So today I'm thankful that we're going to be in our series, continuing it, Summer in the Prophets. And what we're walking through in this series is the books of the Bible we like to flip past, all right? The, the minor prophets. It's the last 12 books of the Old Testament and uh, we're not going to get through all of them. By God's grace, we're not. We're going to have something to look forward to. But we've gone through a lot of them. And we even have one coming up in a few weeks. I'll put them on the spot. Uh, that someone's namesake is. Like after uh, the book before Amos is a certain book. <clears throat> yep. So uh, we'll be in Joel in a couple weeks. But we're in the book of Amos this week. Uh, Amos, uh, wherever you are in the transcript, if it says it's wrong, A-M. OS, so that way somebody doesn't think I'm making a medical term. We're in the book of Amos, and as we are in the summer in the prophets here today, we are going to walk through, seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord and live. So to help me get started out here, tell somebody God loves you. Tell somebody else God's for you. And tell somebody else God wants to bless you. Now let's say all three of them together on the count of three. One, two, three. God loves you. God is for you, and God wants to bless you. So many times do we believe that, though. See, that's a rhythm that we like to break. That's a rhythm we don't want to believe in. As a matter of fact, we get caught in the guilt and shame of our sin, and we don't like believing that. I don't know, maybe you do. Maybe you're fine with that. But I'm going to stand up here as a pastor and say, I don't always feel that way. Sometimes I'll get up and say, Lord, I just need some running water, right? Or I'll say, hey, I need to go do this. Or, hey, I need to be that. And it's hard for me to believe that. So to get ready for today, I'm continuing to need your help. All right? I need you to complete what I'm about to say. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We know that, right? We know that one all the way through. I don't want to grow up. Yes, and it's not around anymore. So all of that to say, we have that, I'm stuck on, right, 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 right. And it kept going on like it was supposed to be stuck on you. Like we know this, like a good neighbor. We know these things, right? So we hear that all the time. It is some of the best marketing in the world, but so many times we don't believe God loves us, that God is for us, and that he wants to bless us. And so the rhythm that we get caught in is everything in this world can satisfy or save us but God has forgotten us. And that's where Israel is. Israel is at this moment in this space and place when we pick up in the book of Amos. So if you've got your Bible today, let's go ahead. We're going to be in Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we have them free for the asking over in the garden area. You can also follow along with us uh, on the Bible app or in the Bible app in our Vine Church app. You can also take notes in there, so that's really fun as we get to do that. Uh, but also, wherever you are, uh, wherever you're watching around the world throughout the week, we say it all the time, Zach works really hard to make sure that we have the scripture on the screen wherever you're watching, so you can thank him if you couldn't flip to the page fast enough, because he has got you covered. If you're with me, give me an amen. amen. All right, amen in the house of the Lord. So here we go. Here's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be in Amos chapter 5. So we're going to get some groundwork. So when it comes to Amos, as you can see, we're working backwards away from Christmas, okay? We, we, we started almost at the end. Not, I'm not talking Malachi, but where we are in the, the Old Testament prophets, we're going away. So they're about to go in exile. And the reason that this is important for Israel and Judah is we understand the many times God gave Israel and Judah to repent. 
and they refuse to. That's where Amos is. So Amos starts out, uh, it was written in about 760 B.C., uh, if you're there, uh, and you know what I'm talking about there. 760 B.C., and Amos is an entrepreneur. If you read Amos, you can see he was a sheep breeder, a cattle farmer, and he grew figs, all right? So uh, he liked fig newtons, if you will. What was different about him is he was from the southern kingdom of Judah, but he prophesied about the northern kingdom of Israel. So he wasn't real well-liked. They were just like, go back home. You got your own problems to worry about in Judah. Leave us alone. That's what Israel would tell him. And so many times, that's kind of where we are sometimes, right? Somebody, the word of the Lord will come and somebody would just try to speak life over us. Or maybe as Nathan goes to David and speaks, we, we don't like. Man, we don't like that. We don't like it, so we push him away. But you see, what God is doing is he's showing his grace and mercy through it. So Amos 1 and 2 is what you would call the oath against the nations. He talks about the neighboring countries of Israel and Judah and what they have done and how they will be destroyed. Now, why does this matter? Because when David was king, remember David, outside of Jesus, David is the greatest king of Israel, right? They have a unified country. They conquer the lands around them, and they actually come underneath the covenant of God until those nations rebel, and they start fighting Israel and trying to take their land. So God is saying, because you went against my people, you're going to be destroyed. And then he does something that is shocking. He flips the script. He tells Israel and Judah at the end of chapter 2 and in 3 and 4, your sin you have chosen over me. So when we pick up in Amos 5, we may just read Amos 5 and think, man, God is a vengeful, angry, hateful God, but God has given Israel time and time again. We talked about the rhythm, really, of these marketing schemes uh, that, that we know, these little jingles, which are great, which, by the way, most of them were written by Barry Manilow. If you didn't know that, that's insane. It really is. Look it up. He gets, so all those, those little things, so you may think he's in Vegas singing, making money. It ain't nothing. He's getting it off the jingle because you already know all of them. So all of that to be said, with that, the rhythms that we get stuck in so many times is where Israel was. The rhythm of Israel was this. God would save them. They would turn their back on God. God would bring something to them as a famine or would bring a drought to get their attention. They would turn back to God and God would bless them. And they're in a cycle of that over and over and over again until we pick up Amos. And God's like, I'm going to break the cycle. We get in rhythms too. We don't think we're about to start school. There's a rhythm. There's a rhythm. You know how I know that we are about to start school? When you go to the grocery store this week, see if the item you tried to find two weeks ago is in the same place. You're welcome. I worked in retail long enough. You know why? Because we want to break your rhythm. You're getting in a rhythm and a routine. You'll see. That's when marketers pay money to change what's in eye level, what's on the top shelf, the bottom left. You're, you've been in the summer. You've had a vacation. A little chaotic. You're about to get in a routine. So to shake it up, retailers, we, we, we switch it up. Cough and cold season is going to happen. So just wait. You'll see. It'll happen again at Christmas because you're going to be with the kids and you're going to create a new rhythm. So retail shakes it up. It's a psychological thing. Get excited. So Israel is in a rhythm, and God says it's time to break the rhythm. So Amos 5 is where we're going to pick up. Verse 1 through 3, this is how God says he will break the rhythm. Hear this word, Israel. This lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. 
Now, this is important. Before we go to verse 3, you can see in verse 1, it says virgin Israel. What does that mean? They were set apart. They were righteous. God said, you are my chosen people from the covenant he makes with Abraham. And he says, now all of a sudden, you have chosen to break the covenant. So the Israel, you know it. In other words, the Israel that you know it is dead. It's dead. Now, we can read that and be like, oh, God is mean. How horrible. But you see, God was creating the new Israel through Christ, and this is what it is pointing to, how Israel turned to everything but the God who saved them. And so he is saying, hey, you have deserted everyone and put your faith in the land, and now nobody's going to lift you up. What does he mean by that? Well, Jesus talks about this. What would happen is when the prophets would give the truth of God, Israel said, I don't like what you're saying, so they just kill them. Who wants to go be a prophet? Oh, we love Elijah. We love Mount Carmel. We ready. We get, yeah, 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 yeah. What did Jezebel do right away? Why did Elijah run? Because she's going to kill him. They killed the prophets. Jesus said that. Jesus taught that. He talked about how uh, you can see Israel is either talked as a virgin Israel or a vine or a vineyard of God. And they went, and every time God sent a word to bring them back to stay within his covenant, they just killed the person. Praise God we're on this side of the cross. I'm sorry, that gets me excited. And praise God we get to live in a time like this, so we ain't got to be worried about that. So now Israel has nobody to help. Look at what verse 3 says. This is what the sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city marches out a thousand strong and will only have a hundred left. Your town marches out a hundred strong and will only have ten left. There's going to be great loss. This is what we call the remnant. There will either be death or desertion of the faith is what God is saying. So one in ten people, that's it. That's all that's going to be left. Now we can look at this and see that's hopeless. That seems hopeless and helpless, but we celebrate here at the Vine when we talk about giving of our time, our talent, our treasure. If you look, God saved the tithe. He saved 10%. 10% he saved. That is the remnant that he saved. So if you don't think that that's important to God and trusting him, that's exactly what he saved was the 10%. And he tells Israel, this is what's going to happen. So let's go see what happens in verse 4 through 7. This is what the Lord God says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Now, we'll go on here in a little bit. So we read this, and we're just like, all right, go to these, these places. What in the world do these places mean? Well, the Lord says, seek me and live, because he's saying you can't go to these places. Bethel is important. Bethel, believe it or not, our vine kids are going to be learning about Jacob at Bethel today. So if you've got vine kids, you can talk to them about that, all right? They're going to be learning about Bethel. When you talk about Bethel, Bethel means house of the Lord. Bethel is where Abraham and Jacob built an altar to the Lord. It's a place of worship. So now instead of Bethel being a place where the foundation of God was built, they worship idols. They decide that it's better to worship Moloch. They decide that it's better to worship with Asherah poles. They decide that that is more important than setting up and worshiping God. It goes on, he says, Gilgal. So for us, we hear Gilgal, it almost sounds like somebody has indigestion. So if I hear that in a minute, it's Gilgal. Like you hear that, it's right. Gilgal is an important place though. Remember when Joshua was with the Israelites at the flood stage, Jordan? And God says, send the Ark of the Covenant out with the priest and the worshipers. And he holds back the water. And once again, Israel goes across on dry land. You remember that story? You may or may not. But what happens is he does that. And when he closes back up the Jordan behind him, he says, put 12 memorial stones to be reminded of the 12 tribes of Israel and my faithfulness and my covenant to you. 
Gilgal. That's the place where God meets Joshua before they go to Jericho, where he gets Israel on the other side of the Jordan. And instead of being reminded of God's faithfulness, they've set up their own stone images to worship. So he says, you can't go there. Beersheba, what a name. Beersheba, uh, wow, it sounds like a wrestler. I just talked about that last week. It'll be good. Beersheba means well of the treaty or well of seven. Why does this matter? Well, when Abraham went into the promised land the first time, God told him, hey, I'm going to give this to you and your descendants. The Philistine king, Abimelech, I'm giving you a lot of info, I know. Abimelech and Abraham make a treaty there so Abraham can live in the land. There, in other words, when you look at this, it's supposed to be known as a place of peace. And God is saying, you can't even go to the place you know as a place of peace anymore because you've turned your back on me. So nothing on this earth will save you. Man, we, we're excited. You can hear a pin drop in this place. I love it. Go on, let's see what else happened. Seek the Lord and live. He will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn, to, who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. Now we're going to talk more about this in a second, but the Lord will consume those places with fire. We don't like that. It'll make sense, but why will the Lord consume it with fire? Well, remember when Noah built the arky arky and uh, we was floating for about 40 days. What was the promise that God gave him, the rainbow in the sky? I will no longer destroy the earth by water. Hey, let's think about this. We're talking about water today. Why? Because I'm going to give the earth living water. That is my son Jesus, right? I'm going to give them living water. They, got, they ain't got to worry about the planets everywhere else and what's on this planet. I'm going to give them the real source of water. That's Jesus telling the woman at the well, right? So all of a sudden, God, said, God says, I ain't going to destroy it with water but fire. Fire is used for refining. We'll talk about this. But the Lord once again says, he is sovereign. You seek the Lord and you find life. How do we have life? Life by him from deliverance from our enemies and life by true worship. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see that they, Israel is used to God delivering them from their earthly enemies, and it would bring them back to true worship. Worship, not fake worship, not going through the motions, not saying I've got it all together when we don't. Instead, real, true worship. What is it that Jesus said God would seek? People who worship him, right? People who have real, true worship. Seek him with all of their heart. That is what we are talking about here, because here's what we have to see really quickly. Uh, on my 17th point for today. We're going to be great. It's going to be great. A lot of information. Sorry, but I get excited about this. If you can't tell, I really do. There are two things that God wants for his people. Justice and righteousness. How many of us would say we want justice? We all long for it. You know how I know we long for it? Don't tell me you don't. Do you have to teach your two-year-old to say it is not fair? That's not fair. You don't have to teach them that. They just come out saying it. Like, it's just right away. I was sleeping. I had my apartment built for nine months. And you made me come out into this cold place. And somebody smacked me. I don't even know if they smack kids anymore. But they smacked me to make me cry to make sure I was alive. That's not fair. We want justice. That is something God put in us. But the only way to have real justice is true righteousness. And that's what we don't like. Because we think in our own righteousness we can have it all together, but what is it that God calls our religious acts? They're filthy rags. So justice and righteousness. I want to help us remember this today because we're talking about fire. So if you're with me, give me an amen. We're going to be good. Come on. I hear amens. That means amen. You're getting the truth. So here we go. So justice, we think of justice and deliverance through justice. It's like a hammer. 
Justice itself is a hammer. What else does a hammer do? Does it not build things? See, that's how we get to experience true justice of God. We get to be a part of him building his kingdom. So justice is a hammer. Righteousness can only be achieved by fire. See, we don't like that. But that is it. Why? Because the fire purifies. When I put on the full armor of God, when we put on the full armor of God, we do what we put on the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. And then there's one more thing we have, the what? The sword of the spirit. That is the word of God. You know the strongest swords, how they're made? They're thrown into the fire and they're melted and the hammer beat upon them. Boom. Just keep beating them, beating them. Smelt, throw it in the fire, pull it out, hammer, hammer. Why? Because it beats the impurities out. The strongest swords have been through the fire the most. Hammer and fire, justice and righteousness. What if the season you're going through that feels like it's a consuming fire is God just helping you live out his justice and righteousness, is making you stronger? We always love talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I like being in the crowd there because I ain't got my flame retardant suit on. And Jesus says, hey, you clothed in me, son. You ain't got to worry about it. Go on in there. You ain't going to have nothing singed. Justice, righteousness, justice, righteousness. We're going to see why does this matter because Israel has neglected God's justice and righteousness. He's going to talk about justice in the courts in a minute. And how does this play out? Well, you see, for each and every one of us, we have to understand that worship without justice is not true worship. The Lord desires mercy, not sacrifice. What is it that Jesus said? If you have a problem with your brother and you're going to bring an offering to the altar, lay it at the front of the altar, be reconciled to your brother first, then you can bring your sacrifice. So if we don't have worship with justice, real justice, it's false worship. It's fake. It's for ourselves. But you see, here's what we have to understand. If we don't have deliverance without righteousness, it's false hope. Deliverance without righteousness. I know this is it, just, just hanging here. If, if, we aren't, if we are delivered by anything other than the Lord, it will not last. You know how I know? Once you have a surgery for something, you got to go back to the doctor, don't you? Well, this, may be, this may heal it all, but it's just not. This body isn't made to be healed fully. Only Christ can do it. As a matter of fact, he is preparing us for our heavenly body forever. So we have to understand when it talk about deliverance without righteousness, it's just false hope. It's false hope. And Jesus didn't come for us to have false hope or false worship. So let's see how God plays this out in verse 10 through 13 of Amos 5. So if you've got your Bible, let's pick up right there again. We're going to be in verse 10 to begin with. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. See, justice and righteousness are clearly, clearly important to God. Israel perverts justice. Aren't you so glad that doesn't happen today? In the world we live in, hey, in the business world, I will tell you what ends up being weighed in business uh, is you determine if the fine is worth it and it's part of the cost of doing business to make the profit. Hey, if I only got to pay a $500 million fine and I made, you know, $4 billion, eh, just the cost of doing business. So glad we don't live in those times, right? We do. This is a wake-up for us in America, I think. We can see where we are. And the Lord has his, had his hand on our nation, and I continue to believe that we can be there. But we have so far strayed from him, 
Israel was in the same place. Verse 11, you levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. Stone mansions, that sounds like a nice place, right? Vineyards are usually good things, but remember when Israel goes into the promised land, he tells them that they will get to live in houses they did not build and get to reap from vineyards they did not sow. But now because they've turned their back on God, that is no longer true. Someone else will live in those mansions and someone else will be in those vineyards. The Lord's saying, I want to bless you. You're just choosing not to trust me. Verse 12 goes on to this. It says for uh, 12 and 13, excuse me. For now I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. For those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. So they are saying that the Lord is saying he knows the extent of Israel's sin and they won't confess. Yet they walk around proudly devout fake righteous right fake righteousness and before we get prideful and boastful we can all be there let's just be honest we can all be there we can all act like we're devout and have it all together i will tell you there are times i've passed the poor beaten left naked man in the good samaritan store there are times i've just been like i gotta go on my way somebody else can take care of that all of us can be there none of us have that all together but the grace of god and his mercy when he tells us to go be there with that person, I will tell you every time I've been blessed by it. As a matter of fact, they were left poor, naked, beaten, and robbed and blessed me more than I could ever bless them. But so many times what Israel did is they just, you know, if they had a ditch for that person, they just kicked them over in the ditch and didn't worry about it. They just let them be. See, so many times we, we see that they are robbing the poor of justice really quickly without getting too crazy uh, with this and, and getting too deep because I can get really excited about it. So hang in there with me. In Israel, you have this thing called a year of Jubilee. All right, so you would have these and, and what you would have is also every seven years, what would happen is all the debts were forgiven. All right, so you would be, your land would go back to you. So if you were bankrupt and you deeded your land to someone else because you were bankrupt, seven years later, the land would be back in your family. If you owed someone a debt and you were bankrupt, you could work for them for seven years to work off your debt, and then it would be forgiven, okay? So what ended up happening is the Lord set that up as a system so that his promise in the promised land would continue to go true for generations. But Israel decided to turn their back on it, and a matter of fact, at this time, they, the kings would neglect the years of Jubilee. That's how they oppressed the poor. So in other words, you went and you worked off your debt, and instead of you being set free, they said, hey, guess what? Seven more years. That should sound real familiar. Because remember Jacob's story with Leah and Rachel? That should sound real familiar, because that's exactly what Laban did to him. So Israel is now in this moment, and instead of uplifting others, they're oppressing them, and there's one thing that God will not put up with, the strong oppressing the weak. We are lambs. I don't know about you, I tried to go, I can pet a lamb, I guess you can shear a lamb, but if I get on that lamb's poor back, it ain't going to make it. It ain't strong, it ain't smart, and I know I'm a lamb because I ain't smart, that's fine with me, I know I ain't. 
But at the same time, I understand that God says we are supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, not oppress them and put them down. Let's go on and see what else Israel has going on, because it sounds so hopeful. But I promise you, the hope is here. We'll see it. Verse 14 and 15. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. The Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. In other words, seeking good means returning back to God, repenting, and you will be back in his favor if you will just do it instead of reciting platitudes and rejecting him for idols. At this time in the temple, there are actually people weaving baskets and, and weaving things to false gods. There are Asherah poles there. There are people sacrificing their firstborn child to Moloch and throwing it in the fire in hopes that they can be fertile. Now, what sense does that make? Lord, I want to have children, so let me go throw the firstborn in the fire. What? Like, do you see how crazy that is? So that they can have more children. What? Like, the Lord's given you the first. I'm pretty sure he can produce another. Like, I mean, it is what it is. So Israel has been caught up in that. And the Lord says, not only seek good, not evil. He goes deeper in verse 15. Hate evil and love good. How do we do that? We maintain justice in the courts. It's going to sound like Jonah last week, church. Perhaps the Lord Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph hate evil see when I, we talk about following the Lord so many times we think it's a list of do's and don'ts and church that's religion God does have guardrails for our life God does have 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 guardrails for us to be able to run freely and I, I've say this before because this is just how my poor little brain can comprehend it <clears throat> your dog not on a leash running free in the neighborhood is in danger it can be hit by a car it could, be, it could run into someone else's yard. It could be harmed. But if you put a fence in your backyard, how happy is your puppy? My happy dog, man, they go crazy. Inside the fence, inside the guardrails, they have freedom. And see what Israel has done is God has said, hey, if you live inside my guardrails, man, you got some freedom. You can, yes, there's still some rules here, but it's not about do or don't. It's about you living in absolute freedom, truly how I created you to be, but we don't like that. We reject it. Israel has rejected it at this moment in time. They don't like God's guardrails. And so when we talk about following Christ, it's guardrails, not do's and don'ts. It's actually the better way to have the freedom that Christ came to give us. And so what happens is when we say hate evil, it means I don't want to sin because I know how much it offends God, not because I shouldn't sin. If you're picking up what I'm laying out, I don't want to sin because it offends God, not because I shouldn't do it. Shouldn't do it is us stuck in condemnation, loving the Father enough to say, I would love you more than doing this means I'm seeking him as my ultimate treasure. And man, I get to run in that, man, whoo, my tail's wagging like crazy like that dog in that backyard, man. I'm losing my mind going crazy. And if you put a hose pipe or a sprinkler back there, holy cannoli, the water of life's all over me. So wherever you are right now, I want you to know Christianity isn't do's and don'ts. You might have grew up that way. And maybe because of that, you're like Israel. Your heart is hard toward God. As a matter of fact, you only give hoping he blesses you. And that's not a true heart of worship. That's not what he calls us to do when he calls us to give. He says, hey, hey, when it comes to giving, it's with your whole heart. That's why that widow's might had no value to everybody else. But she gave all she had. 
And maybe you've done that and you're mad at God because of the season you're in, but God says, hey, come back to me so that you can see the freedom I gave you to live in. With this, God is teaching them the one thing that we always talk about but is real when it comes to Christianity for sure. Faith, hope, and love are some good things he gave us, right? But the greatest is what? Love. See, love seeks justice and righteousness. As a matter of fact, love, love with the righteousness of God will implement justice. Proper justice. But Israel had rejected that. Verse 16 through 18 goes on to say, Therefore, this is what the Lord God Almighty says. There there will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. Send that on the baby card for the newborn. <laughs> I laugh at this because I think of Hallmark cards and like you're not going to send that to somebody when I hear this. When we go to send that, hey, the farmers are going to wail and weep at your kid being born. We don't have that, right? This is not a good time. This is God saying, hey, you will experience my judgment. There will be destruction in the place where you used to have joy. The farmer would be joyous. The vineyards would be joyous. Verse 17, there will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Man, this is so big, so big. Verse 18 says this, then we're going to unpack this. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? The day will be darkness, not light. I love verse 17 because it says the Lord will pass by. He is telling Israel right now, prepare to meet me. I think that's in our Bible app, Devo. That's the best way to say it. Prepare to meet me. What is this alluding to? What did the Passover happen? Passover, when they passed by, remember the firstborn children were killed in Israel, and the only way that you were spared is if the blood of the lamb was on your doorpost, right? The Lord says, you're not going to be spared this time because you're not covering yourself with the blood of the lamb. You're covering yourself with the things of the world. And so now Israel, who is used to not experiencing God's Judgment, and we're going to talk about what his judgment is. Now is going to have to walk through it. All those things that God delivered them from, they're going to experience left and right. And, that, and if you want to look those verses ahead, she, Olivia's with a, the vine kid, so it's fine. It talks about the snakes biting you and then going to get a lion right in those verses ahead. So, yeah, in other words, it's every one of these things, these plagues that God did to set you free, you're actually going to walk through because you chose the things of this world over a delivering creator God. See, the familiar rhythm of Israel was God was just going to keep blessing them. God was going to keep blessing them. As a matter of fact, the familiar rhythm of Israel was they would keep turning back to God and they would never go into slavery again. But God's about to tell them, you are going to go into exile. You're going to go into slavery again since they've been delivered. Because you haven't turned from your ways. You haven't kept any of my decrees. We're about to see how they kept his decrees in a moment. He's saying, hey, you haven't done any of this. You only do it so that I don't harm you. And I want to tell you, church, if you only trust God so that you won't go to hell, there's more to life than following Christ than that. It isn't about just not going to hell because nobody wants to go to hell. It's actually about being who you were created to be, and the only way you can do that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing else. Not a 12-step program, not the next book you're going to buy, the next podcast you listen to, not the next video series you have, not this one-time deal, normally $497, but it's yours today for three easy payments of $99.99. Like, none of that. None of that. Those things are good, but they can't give you the hope that Christ can. 
And so this is what God is saying to, uh, to Israel is now all of a sudden they're going to experience his judgment. Once again, passing by. Where was it in Genesis 3 that God met Adam and Eve? In the cool of the day, where? In the garden. The place that God created them to thrive, sin entered in, and instead they chose that they knew the better way for their life than God did. Because surely he won't kill me. The things that God created for us to have freedom in that backyard, when we reject him, we're setting ourselves up to fail. But what's important here really quick, and we'll get to 22 in, or 20 to 22, is we think the day of the Lord will be light, but it will actually be darkness. Verse 20 says this, Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark, with a ray, without a ray of brightness? Darkness. Parents who have kiddos know what darkness feels like, right? Like, the reason I know you do is because you've stepped on a Lego. Don't lie. It's okay. You know what darkness feels like. All of us, all of us have been there. I, I don't have kids, and I still step on my own Legos. It's a problem, I know. I shouldn't probably play with Legos. But darkness, 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 not light. Look at what, Jesus, look at what God says, excuse me, to Israel about why they're going to walk in darkness. Verse 21 to 22 says this. I hate I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. God, who set up these religious festivals to remind people that he alone is their salvation, is saying, hey, you can show up to church every Sunday, you can, go, you can go and tithe and give an offering, and you can know all the Bible verses, you can rehearse all the lines, you can know every platitude, and it still ain't going to save you. Only Christ can. It is repenting and turning from your sin that will save you. See, Israel, what they were doing is they would only go to the festivals. Hey, we talked about the year of Jubilee every time. Well, when we talk about all the way through the, the once a year when the scapegoat goes out and the Israel sins are set free for a year and all of a sudden they're, 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 they're sin free for at least a day, what would happen is they would go and because they would bring their offerings, they would do that and say, hey, I know I just screwed over my neighbor in the court, so I'm going to bring this offering to the Lord, a little bit of the extra I stole from him, but then I'm going to go steal from my other neighbor. So they brought the sacrifice because they thought, well, he, he forgave me of that sin, so I can keep on sinning elsewhere. See, religion will do that. Religion will just give you fire insurance. Religion will say, hey, I, just, I ain't going to hell. Good luck for you. Which is why when it comes to the day of the Lord, hear me out. And the Lord will convict you, and I know so many times he's convicted me when I'm wrong with it. So I'll just say this. This is why I don't say, I'm just ready for Jesus to return. You know what that tells the world? It doesn't give them hope. It says, I'm better than you because I know where I'm going. And you don't, that's truth, and we've got to give the truth. But I don't walk around saying that. Why? Because I just want to run the race he's created me to run here, whether he returns before then or not. It makes no difference to me. That's what he's called me to do. Yes, as a Christian, we all long to be in glory forever. But at the same time, I'm not running around saying that all the time when somebody's saying, hey, my, my mother just died from cancer. Man, I wish the Lord would return so we can cure all that cancer. Man, that's not hope-filled. That's not giving them hope. It's truth, but it ain't hope. What is it that John says that the Word became flesh? And what is it in 14? He came full of grace and truth. 
grace and truth. Jesus calls us to be salt and light. More on that in a minute. Salt and light. So anyway, Israel does, instead of repenting of their sin, they just kept on sinning. Now for us on this side of the cross, what is it that we show when it comes to sin? We think it's this grievous big, big thing that we can do. Like, you know, uh, somebody's like uh, bribery or, or robbing someone, but it said that the world will know us by how we do what? It's that same four-letter word again. Love. We can't love our neighbor if we don't first have the love of the Lord. So if, if we don't have the love of the Lord, it'll be evident in all that we do. And so the Lord says that the people that Israel has forgotten their love. And you hear in Revelation, what is it? You've forgotten your first love, so I spit you out. You are lukewarm. Paul says in Galatians 5.13 what we are supposed to do with our freedom. Once again, that word's going to come up. He says, do not use the freedom that Christ has given you to serve your fleshly desires, but instead to humbly serve one another in love. Love. So how many of us, the Lord tells them, by the way, before we go to that, that Israel's going to go into exile, and actually Judah is too. He's talking about the Assyrians at this point for Israel, and then Babylonian captivity or exile will be what Judah goes into. Real uplifting right now, I know, it sounds crazy, but let's think about something really quick. How many of us have, have, are, we're afraid of the dark? We like to think we grow out of it, don't we? So let me ask you this, parents and adults, how many of us have a nightlight like in the bathroom or the kitchen if the kids are out of the house? hey oh, you got a nightlight in the kitchen, it's called the refrigerator. You know, don't even lie, it's good. You got a nightlight, all of us, we have a nightlight. We don't really ever grow, and it's because I can't see nothing. And whenever I hit my toe, I'm going to say something I need to definitely repent for when it comes to Sunday morning. So that being said, none of us like the dark. Have you ever had a kid be afraid of daylight? Why do you think that is? Is that not God? Hey, Genesis 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and formless. Darkness covered the land. The Spirit of God hovered over the water, and God said, let there be light. Boom. Hang on, I'm going to do it. Last time it went on. Remember when we did that? Oh, last time the lights came on in. And there was light, and he saw that it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night, and there was morning and evening on the very first day. God took chaos and darkness, and he brought order to it. Genesis 3 comes along, and we decide, God, we don't like your rhythm is what Israel decides. We don't like your rhythm. We want to create our own. We're going to dance to our own beat. We're going to have our own drum. We're going to do our own thing because I know what's better for my life than you. Sounds like a teenager. I know, right? I know what's better than my life for you, so who do you think you are? But I still get to live in your house rent-free, right? Like, is that, is that cool? Like, right? And God says, well, no, 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 no. If you don't trust me, you can't live. Darkness, darkness, darkness. God creates order out of chaos. And so what we'll do is in the darkness, as you really, Paul describes it as groping in the darkness. We are trying to find the light switch the rest of our life because of sin. We are actually blinded. That's why when we talk about this, we are blinded by our sin. And we will search out in the world to try to find the light switch. We will do everything we can to create light just to have a little bit of way to see. Just a little bit. Now, I will tell you, you and I may think we've been in true darkness, but it's, it's really hard. Maybe if we have an eye patch on or we have like, uh, gosh, I don't sleep, a sleep mask. There we go, sorry. Something like that on, maybe. But none of us have really ever been in true darkness. We haven't. 
We think we have. We're like, well, I've been out in the country, and I've looked at the night sky, and I get to see all the stars. Well, there's some light there. It's called the stars, right? We've never been in complete darkness. As a matter of fact, hell is an everlasting fire, but hell itself is complete darkness. I would say it's darkness. There's an everlasting fire, but it's darkness. You have no light. You're still groping to try to find your way in the world. And let me tell you, maybe you think you've got it figured out. This season right now, you do. Your bank account's swollen. Your life feels good. Your waistline might be swollen. Your car's bigger than it's ever been, and your house is bigger than it's ever been. And you think, man, I figured it out. This is it in that season. But let me tell you what, no matter what you do, death bats a thousand. Your body's going to die. I don't care how much you think you got the light. You're not going to live. This physical body will die. And as a matter of fact, our spiritual body born in sin is dead. No matter what we try to do to save it, we can bring all the offerings, remember all the scripture, rehearse all the lines, know all the words, sing all the worship songs, be on the front row dancing, having it. hey, bring out the ribbons and the tambourines. There's nothing wrong with that. Man, flip the chairs if that, yeah, you're filled with, you say you're filled with the Spirit. But your heart is not true. This is where Israel is. They were stuck in darkness, even though the light had come. They rejected God's rhythm. And so let's look at this really quick as we wrap up. Darkness itself, we've talked about this before, is the absence of life, of light. Excuse me. Darkness is the absence of light. Why? In a completely dark place, this is all I need to have a light. Can the darkness overcome that? no matter what it does. But this little flicker is the light in the darkness. That's all that's needed to be able to see. That's all that's needed to break through the darkness. But you see, darkness itself is the absence of light, so darkness can't consume light. But all the way through, we have to be reminded when it comes to that, that sin is the absence of God. And if sin is the absence of God, it means that it is death. That is why the wages of sin is death, because God is life. God didn't go kill everything. He created life from the beginning. But we choose the rhythm of our own way, thinking we know the better way to life. And so wherever we are right now, I just want us to be reminded, sin had us in darkness. But as John 1 always, that we just had the verse of the day there yesterday. John 1, 5 was it. But it says this in verse 4 and 5. In him, talking about Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But you see, the problem is those familiar verses we have in John 3.16 through 21 is what we're going to read, but John 3.16 reminds us, for God so what? Loved the world. That, see, he didn't want us to stay in darkness. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But look, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Here we go, church. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight 
of God. We read this and it makes us shudder a little bit, but what is it that Paul says? He rejoices in the Lord because he is fully known as he gets to fully know God. That's what following Christ is. It means, hey, my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Christ has paid the penalty for that. So I'm not afraid to walk in the light. See, the world is stuck in darkness. Because if I can have my darkness and make you think I'm walking in the light, see, that's who Satan is, is he's, he's a, he's a, he's a, he acts like he's the light. He can't create light. He's what? The father of light. He tries to deceive us. So wherever you are today, maybe you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and I pray and hope today the Holy Spirit has maybe helped you see where we can't be stuck in religion and how important justice and mercy is. And maybe in the season we're in, that God just may be refining us through the fire. And we love to sing it because it's true, there's another in the fire. But we got to understand he's going to pull us out of that fire and he ain't done with us. He's got to pound the impurities out. And with my hard head, he's got to hit pretty hard. I'm going to tell you right now, I got to be reminded of that. You and I have to be reminded of that. For others of us, maybe you don't know who Jesus is and you're stuck in the darkness. And for the first time, you're realizing you are groping around, trying to find your way. And for the first time, you are seeing the light. I hope you understand Christ is that light. He is the way, the truth, the light. There is no way to come to the Father but Him. As we just said in John 1, 4, He is the life and the light of all mankind. So today, will you keep running around in the darkness trying to act like you know the way? Because I don't know about you, I don't know my way in darkness. You don't want to ask me for directions in the first place. But I don't know my way in darkness. But you know who does know the way? The one who made the way, and that is Jesus Christ, the light. So today, we do this each and every week to remind those who are in Christ Jesus of who Christ is for us and what he has done for us. And for others of us today, maybe we're finding out for the first time who Jesus is, and we're about to say a prayer. And the prayer is this. The prayer is we were dead in our sins, and we needed a Savior, and we had no way to clean ourselves up, hope our way in, try to create lights, rub rocks together, to try to do everything we could to create the light. There is nothing we could do to create the light, but God in His grace and mercy loved us enough that He sent the light for us. And we trust that the light is the only way that leads to life. That is what this prayer is, and that is Jesus. And we are confessing Him as Lord of our life. We are turning from our way of darkness, turning from our sin, to follow him and surrendering lordship of our life to him. That is what this prayer is. And so with every head bow and every eye closed, it's not the words of the prayer that saves you, it's the faith and we pray out loud as a family together. So please repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the perfect sinless life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve, paying the penalty for my sins on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, whether you're in the house or you're listening or watching online around the world throughout the week, if for the first time you have confessed and repented of your sins, you have stepped into the light that is Christ, if for the first time you have done that, you have trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. On the count of three, would you please raise your hand? One, two, three. If that's you in the house, 
If that's you in the house, there are hands that are going up around the world. Thank you for your hands. Wherever you're watching, if you're listening online or you're watching throughout the week, you can give a raised hand emoji. But more importantly, we want to celebrate this with you. God is not a father who is trying to condemn you. I want you to know all of heaven is rejoicing at you trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior because they know this and so do we who are in Christ. You're going to get to be fully who he created you to be now. No more searching, no more wandering in the dark. And how we want to help you do that is whether you're here in Spartanburg or around the world, we want to get you in touch with a local church because that's where you get to be refined and continue to take next steps to be all he created you to be. And for the rest of us, if you want to go ahead and look up, I'm so thankful that we are in the house of the Lord. And I'm so thankful that when we seek the Lord, we live. When Christ came, what I love about this is when Christ came, I didn't have to look for this. It was here. See, the whole time was I tried not to look at it. I was doing this. But now that Christ is here, I can follow him. I can seek the Lord and live. So wherever we are right now, would we be reminded as we go through the week, whatever we're carrying in, maybe financial, relational, maybe maybe school, man, maybe it's a lot. Hey, it's my niece's senior year. I'm emotional. I mean, I'm emotional, right? Maybe we have some struggles here. Will we just look to the Lamb? Would you stand and sing?
All right, we're going to end how we started. God loves you. God is for you. And God wants to bless you. And when we go out in the world, that's what we share. That's the light. That's the hope we share. Not the, not the next greatest thing, not, 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 not the, uh, the electric car or the, the next financial scheme or the, or the next thing you can't miss. We show the thing that we were all missing because of sin, and that is Jesus. And we get to show them that we get to look to the Lamb. So as we go out in the world, let's share that this week. Let's bring them back next week because we're going to continue Amos. We're going to be in Amos 9, and I promise you can read ahead. We're going to see how God is talking about Israel's restoration and church. If you are in Christ Jesus, we are that. We are the new Israel. 
We are the one that he has prepared for us. Like he has prepared the place for us. We are the ones he came to save, all of us in Christ Jesus. And so when we go in the world, there is no discrimination. There is no prejudice of who Jesus came to save. It's all. He came to save us all. So let's share that. Let's not worry about what divides us. Let's talk about the only thing that can unite unite us, really unify us. We hope you have an awesome week. Come back next week. I promise you we'll have some food somewhere, right? Somewhere along the way. It's it's zero calorie pre-prayed for in the Lord. So if you will come hang out with us, we'd love to see your smiling face. Have a great week. And always remember, the best is still yet to come.